Hey everyone, welcome to the Daystar Thimble Podcast. My name is Megan Blake, and I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is a scripture and general conference study that will help you seek the Lord and experience Jesus Christ a little more in your life. My hope is that we can come unto Jesus Christ, our Daystar, and add a thimble of oil to our lamps each episode. You ready? Let's go. everyone. Welcome to the Daystar Thimble Podcast. I'm Megan Blake, and I am beyond excited for today's episode. As I mentioned in my last episode, we will be studying general conference talks, and we will be studying them in detail. So if you are interested in that, you are in the right place. I like doing this because I'm in the primary right now in our ward, and I don't get very many chances to really dive into these talks, and they are so good. So I am so excited to do this. Hopefully you will find this episode enlightening and spiritually uplifting. Oh, but before we get started, just an FYI, on the show notes, depending on what platform you're on, you can go to my website, daystarthimble.wordpress.com and find the post associated with the episode. I have all the links for the talk and some resources, as well as what we discuss here. So you can go check that out if you would like more details. Okay. Oh, I am so excited for today's discussion. It's a little long, just a heads up, but it's going to be worth your while, I promise. Um, President Nelson gave three talks in this past October 2022 General Conference but we will just be discussing his main talk called Overcome the World and Find Rest. Oh, there are some amazing things to unpack from this. And by the end of this episode, you will hopefully get a greater understanding of the invitation the prophet gave to us in his talk, which is to take charge of our own testimonies of Jesus Christ and his gospel, to nurture it and feed it truth. So let's take charge of that now. I hope you have the talk pulled up now and we can dive in. Are you ready? So President Nelson first begins with some heartfelt words to us as the church. And as those investigating the church, or if you're not part of the church, this is to everyone who wants to build their testimony in Jesus Christ, okay? So hopefully this covers everyone that's listening. But he starts, My dear brothers and sisters, I am grateful to greet you on this glorious Sabbath morning. You are constantly on my mind. I marvel at the way you spring into action whenever you see others in need. I stand amazed at the faith and testimony you demonstrate again and again. I weep over your heartaches, disappointments, and worries. I love you. Aren't these such amazing words to hear from a prophet of God? You could tell he really means it when he tells us that he loves us and that we are constantly on his mind. I know the brethren, the apostles, and the prophet, President Nelson, meet every Thursday in the temple in Salt Lake and pray for the members of the church and for the youth. Isn't that so amazing to think about? I just love that. They care so deeply for us, 
So this message is even more powerful because it because it's coming from a place of love and wanting to buoy us up. I assure you that our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, love you. He goes on. They are intimately aware of your circumstances, your goodness, your needs, and your prayers for help. Again and again, I pray for you to feel their love for you. Experiencing their love is vital, as it seems that we are accosted daily by an onslaught of sobering news. Let's pause here and reflect on this phrase. Experiencing their love is vital. How do we experience their love? What does that feel like? What does that look like in your life? And why do we need to experience Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ's love? Why would this be, quote unquote, vital to you and me? If you think about it, to our bodies, food and water, shelter, warmth and clothing are vital and absolutely necessary. Could love from our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ really be that vital? Equivalent to those things that we are in need of? Nephi from the Book of Mormon shares an amazing experience he had while seeing baby Jesus in Mary's arms, in the same vision his father saw of the tree of life, he responded to the angel's question. There was an angel standing near him. Nephi said essentially, I get it. I understand now. He said in 1 Nephi chapter 11, 22 through 23, the tree is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men, wherefore it is the most desirable above all things. When I think of sheddeth, I think of a cat. <laughs> Have you ever been around someone's cat whose fur just keeps shedding and shedding and shedding? Maybe you own a cat like that, huh? And if you're wearing black jeans, oh my goodness, you can totally see the cat hair all over you. It's everywhere, and it's hard to get off, right? It sticks to you. Well, that's what God, God's love is to us, for lack of a better analogy. It sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of all of his children. We can feel his love, and it's not going away. In fact, it's hard to get rid of. It sticks to you. It chases you down. It fights till you're found. It, it leaves the 99 sheep to come after the one, you. And what does Nephi say? It's the most desirable above all things. I don't even want food or water or anything. I just want God's love. Doesn't it feel good to feel God's love? To feel the warmth of the spirit? To feel forgiven from a sin? To sigh? after a burden has been taken off. Well, then the angel added, yea, and the most joyous to the soul. I like to imagine here that this angel isn't, is not correcting Nephi here, but almost agreeing with him. Like both Nephi and the angel are looking off in the distance, imagining God's love and just lost in that wonderful thought. And the angel's nodding 
his head and like agreeing with Nephi. Like, yeah, man, I totally agree. It's the most joyous to the soul. It's the most desirable above all things. I agree with you. Also, if you think about this amazing vision um, that Nephi is experiencing, this angel is showing Nephi the vision his father saw, which was of the iron rod and the tree of life. Well, this angel is trying to help Nephi understand what this tree of life represents. Verses 20 through 21, right before this. And I, Nephi, looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold, the Lamb of God, even the Son of the Eternal Father, exclamation mark. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? Like, are you getting it now? The only way this angel could describe the meaning of the tree of life, God's love, is by showing Nephi the Savior as a baby in his mother's arms. The fact that it is a mother and her child is a sure sign of love. There's probably no love comparable in this world to a mother's love. It's almost perfect. But the fact that it is God condescending so low as to become a helpless baby is, even, is an even greater sign of that perfect love. That, that right there, is the ultimate demonstration of perfect love that this world has ever, had ever known and has ever known since. For God so loved the world, we hear in John chapter 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. God's love. Gotta love God's love because he sure loves you and me and each and every one of us. I'm going to continue on this, this love um, pondering because as I was contemplating this concept of love and why it's so vital to us, I began thinking that love is actually like, it's a two-way street. We must love God too. He sure loves us, but we need to return that love. We need to receive Christ with love. Let's, let's define love first. Love is deep devotion and affection. It also includes these words, adoration, reverence, tenderness, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, grace, service, gratitude, kindness, a sure sign that you love God is that you are devoted to him. If you strive to keep his commandments and believe his word, you are showing God your love for him. In a blessing given to Oliver Cowdery in the Doctrine and Covenants, who was a scribe for Joseph Smith, Christ had said, Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will in other words, I promise I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. This is Christ talking. I just love that picture. Imagine 
Imagine Jesus giving you a big hug. How warm that hug would be. How comforting it would feel. I love that imagery. I love that. In another blessing given to Orson Pratt before his mission, this is also in the, in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 34, verses 3 through 4. The Lord said, I so love the world that I gave my own life. This is also the, the Lord, um, Christ, speaking. That as many as would believe might become the sons of God. Wherefore you are my son, Orson. Megan, anyone, right? You are my son or daughter. That as many as would believe might become the sons of God. Wherefore you are my son and blessed are you because you have believed. The blessing of being faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments and believing in God's word is becoming. Becoming a child of Christ. Becoming one of his sons or daughters. I love how John puts it in 1 John 4, 7. Lots of scriptures today. But the scriptures are filled with God's love. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. I love I love this. You can substitute the word God for Christ in this passage. If we love Christ, adore Christ, revere Christ, serve Christ, right? We're putting in these, these definitions, these synonyms to the word love and devotion. We, if we do devote our lives to him, then we will come to know Christ intimately and we will feel Heavenly Father and Jesus' love for us and become better than what we could be on our own without them. So back to our question, is experiencing their love vital to us? Yes, very much so. Okay, one more thing about love, I promise. I found a scripture that isn't in President Nelson's talk, but it, it demonstrates exactly what he's talking about when he says to overcome the world, as we will get to later on. I'm sorry, I just teaser for you. <laughs> I spilled the beans, but he does talk about overcoming the world in connection with this love. But it's amazing that he first challenges us to experience the love of God because overcoming the world and the love of God work hand in hand. In 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5, I found this scripture and it works perfectly. And I'm sure President Nelson read it and this this is probably the basis of his talk, to be honest, but he doesn't quote it or anything. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begot love, that begot loveth him also, that is begotten of him. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous, better translation here um, in Hebrew, burdensome. So his commandments are not burdensome. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? I like to put a question mark here. He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Ooh, this is so good. I was so excited when I found this. It just all comes together in these verses. 
If you haven't felt God's love for you in a while, better put, if you haven't felt to sing the song of redeeming love, if you do not love God, please, please strive to come to know him. Obey, be faithful, be diligent, believe, and become and feel the love of Christ. Overcome the world by your love and faith and devotion. So let's go back to the talk. President Nelson goes on to describe rest, a different kind of rest, but it's a rest that the Lord gives us. So he, he goes on. You may have had days when you wished you could don your pajamas, curl up in a ball and ask someone to awaken you when the turmoil is over. This is how I feel like raising kids sometimes. Can I just go put my pajamas back on and sleep until the screaming and crying stop? <laughs> so true. But my dear brothers and sisters, so many wonderful things are ahead. In coming days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever known, has ever seen. Sorry. That's a really cool promise. He goes on, between now and the time he returns with power and great glory, he will bestow countless privileges, blessings, and miracles upon the faithful. All the more reason to be faithful, right? Privileges, blessings, miracles. Uh, yes, please give me some of those, right? Nonetheless, we are presently living in what surely is a most complicated time in the history of the world. The complexities and challenges leave many people feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. However, consider a recent experience that might shed some light on how you and I can find rest. During the recent open house of the Washington, D.C. Temple, a member of the open house committee witnessed an insightful interchange as he escorted several prominent journalists through the temple. Somehow, a young family became attached to this media tour. Our reporter kept asking about the journey of a temple patron as he or she moves through the temple. He wanted to know if the temple journey is symbolic of the challenges in a person's journey through life. A young boy in the family picked up on the conversation. And when the tour group entered an endowment room, the boy pointed to the altar where people kneel to make covenants with God and said, Oh, that's nice. Here's a place for people to rest on their temple journey. I doubt that the boy knew just how profound his observation was. He likely had no idea about the direct connection between making a covenant with God in the temple and the Savior's stunning promise. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. I love when he encourages us to learn of him in, the, in these verses. And then we shall find rest unto our souls. President Nelson will later describe what this kind of rest is because it isn't the kind of rest we are thinking of where we sleep or relax on the sunny beach. So we'll get to that in a moment. For now, let's dive into the other parts of this passage. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a, is a wooden beam sometimes used between a pair of oxen or other animals for that matter and and it enables them to pull together a load 
either a cart or a plow. And I, I love this description because if you think about it, a yoke is connecting two animals together, right? It's this wooden beam that goes, you know, it harnesses around their necks and they're yoked together, okay? And when we are yoked to Christ, he is right beside us, walking in tandem with us and helping us with the heavy load we're trying to pull. And we're yoked to him. We are connected to him. And here's the amazing thing. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. The actual Hebrew translation of this word easy, it, a better translation would be good for you or efficient or helpful. And so he says his yoke is helpful, efficient, right? Good for you. And I like to picture that his yoke, when Christ comes up beside us, right? He's the helpful side. He's the efficient side. He's the one that will be good for you, right? Not, not some other, not some other yoke, you know, not some other partner who's going to come and, you know, try to help pull you, right? We look to all these sources and, and for strength and, and power and they're hollow. You know, no one's going to, no one's going to help you. It's Christ. Christ is going to help you. Because he's efficient, he's helpful, he's good for you. And he's probably pulling most of the weight. His side actually probably pulls your side as well, let's be honest. All he asks us to do, though, is take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Allow him to put his yoke on you. You're trying to pull this heavy load all by yourself and you're getting nowhere. Allow him to come in and put his yoke on you. Connect yourself with Christ and he will make it easier. He will do most of the pulling. You'll work on keeping stride with him. You will work on placing your feet in the right spots so you don't stumble over some rocks or something. So this leads me to a question. How do we connect ourselves with Christ? What is this yoke spoken of in the scriptures? President Nelson answers that for us. Dear brothers and sisters, I grieve for those who leave the church because they feel membership requires too much of them. They have not yet discovered that making and keeping covenants actually makes life easier. <clears throat> making and keeping covenants binds us to God. A yoke is a covenant we make with God. Oh, I think this is starting to make a little more sense now. He goes on. Each person who makes covenants in baptismal fonts and in temples and keeps them has increased access to the power of Jesus Christ. And then I love this. Please ponder that stunning truth. Just like we're doing now, right? Pondering this covenantal relationship that his yoke is the covenant we make with God. And, and it's easy. It's helpful. It's good for us, right? These are all amazing things. You will have increased power because Christ will be alongside you. 
He will be pulling your load with you. And actually, he will be strengthening and giving you power during it. So your load will seem lighter, less and less heavier, easier to pull. This is an amazing analogy for the covenants we make with God. Whether those are baptismal covenants or temple covenants, wherever you are on the covenant path, he can give you access to his power. What is this power? How does it help me? Well, President Nelson goes on. The reward for keeping covenants with God is heavenly power, power that strengthens us to withstand our trials, temptations, and heartaches better. This power eases our way. That is amazing. I want that. I don't know anyone out there who wouldn't want that for their own life. He goes on saying, those who live the higher laws of Jesus Christ have access to his his higher power. Thus, covenant keepers are entitled to a special kind of rest that comes to them through their covenantal relationship with God. Okay, so we were talking about power, and now all of a sudden we're talking about rest. Well, that seems like a paradox of sorts, but let's think about this. If we draw out this analogy, Christ is yoked to us, and his yoke is easy or good for us. Well, we make covenants with him, and as we keep those covenants, key word here is keep, do the spiritual work to come into Christ and make covenants with him, gaining spiritual momentum in this process, we will stay close to him. He will remain yoked to us. And then his beautiful promise. He promises to give us his power. So he is essentially doing all the work. If he is doing all the work, he's giving us this power. I guess we're essentially resting, right? In this analogy, for, for all intents and purposes here. Oh, rest. Sweet rest. This is why this scripture in Matthew is so powerful. All the words work really well to describe this covenantal relationship we have with God. This is the covenant relationship. And what do we learn in the temple? How to build the covenant relationship. President Nelson will describe later on that this true rest is relief and peace, right? It's not just rest as we think it like where we're not doing anything, but we are constantly working on this covenant relationship and we're receiving re- relief and peace as we're doing this spiritual work and as we're building this spiritual momentum. It's really a cool cycle. Once we are yoked to Christ by covenants and are striving to build spiritual moment- momentum, we will have less desire to sin. We will be less tempted and be able to overcome the world because we are working on building that covenant relationship. And this is where we get into this concept of overcoming the world. Just as we saw in in those um, chapters in John, John 5, I think. He goes on, Before the Savior submitted himself to the agony of Gethsemane and Calvary, he declared to his apostles, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Subsequently, Jesus entreated each of us to do the same when he said, I will that ye should overcome the world. Dear brothers and sisters, my message to you today is that because Jesus Christ overcame this fallen world, and because he atoned for each of us, you too can overcome this sin-saturated, 
self-centered, and often exhausting world. So, essentially, the same analogy of the yoke, in part, can be applied to Jesus, Jesus Christ helping us in overcoming the world. Instead of us pulling the heavy load, now it is us rising above the world as it is falling down, right? We aren't going to fall with it. Instead, we're going to fly. <laughs> Talk about healing in his wings. We are going to use those wings. Maybe he will give us wings too. I love that. So, how will we fly? How will we rise above? Because the Savior, through his infinite atonement, redeemed each of us from weakness, mistakes, and sin. And because he experienced every pain, worry, and burden you have ever had. Then, as you truly repent and seek his help, you can rise above this present precarious world, President Nelson says. You can overcome the spiritually and emotionally exhausting plagues of the world, including arrogance, pride, anger, immorality, hatred, greed, jealousy, and fear, you name it, right? Despite the distractions and distortions that swirl around us, you can find true rest, meaning relief and peace, even amid, even amid your most vexing problems. What does it mean to overcome the world? It means overcoming the temptation to care more about the things of this world than the things of God. It means trusting the do doctrine of Christ more than the philosophies of men. It means delighting in truth, denouncing deception, and becoming humble followers of Christ. Going back to that philosophies of men, you know, it's like what we talked about being yoked to Christ instead of yoked to someone else, right? We don't turn to other sources for comfort and peace and relief and power. You know, we're turning to Christ, and it takes humility to humble followers of Christ. It means choosing to refrain from anything that drives the spirit away. It means, in essence, being willing to give away even our favorite sins. This reminds me of King Lamoni's father in the Book of Mormon. Aaron, one of the missionaries sent to preach the gospel among the Lamanites, teaches him about God. I think before he didn't even believe that there was a God or know that there was a God. And I think he actually called him a great spirit. But anyways, he goes on, he teaches him about God, and after King Lamoni's father understands and starts believing, you know, the seed was planted in his heart, and he's giving place for it in his heart, and he's, he's thinking, you know what, I, I could believe this. This seems believable. This is what he says, Alma 22, 18. Oh God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. He starts praying. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, Wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee, and that I may be raised from the dead and be saved at the last day? Once he heard the good news, he was humble enough to be willing to give away all of his sins to just know God. And remember, we know God when we love God. He loved God. He was working on that relationship with God, building that love towards God. And he was willing to give away all of his sins to know him. That is rising above the world right there. Now, overcoming the world certainly does not mean becoming perfect in this life. 
nor does it mean that your problems will magically evaporate because they won't. And it does not mean that you will still make mistakes. President Nelson goes on, but overcoming the world does mean that your resistance to sin will increase. Your heart will soften as your faith in Jesus Christ increases. Overcoming the world means growing to love God and his beloved son more than you love anyone or anything else. How then do we overcome the world? King Benjamin taught us how. He said that the natural man is an enemy to God and remains so forever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Each time you seek for and follow the promptings of the Spirit, each time you do anything good, things that the natural man wouldn't do, you are overcoming the world. It's that simple. It reminds me it reminds me of the scripture in Alma, chapter 5, 40, verse 40. That whatsoever is good cometh of God. Even better is the verse after, which is far less quoted. Therefore, if a man bringeth forth good works, he hearkeneth unto the voice of the good shepherd. If we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, just follow the promptings of the Spirit. Hearkeneth to the voice of the good shepherd. Do good works. Whatever you were inspired to do, which is good. Just know. It is most always from comes from God. Thank you, Alma, for that insight. It's beautiful. That's why the apostles and prophet have been so adamant on us hearing him. Hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd, because they know it will leadeth us to do good. It's amazing. He goes on. Overcoming the world is not an event that happens in a day or two. It happens over a lifetime as we repeatedly embrace the doctrine of Christ. We cultivate faith in Jesus Christ by repenting daily and keeping covenants that endow us with power. We stay on the covenant path and are blessed with spiritual strength personal revelation, increasing faith in the ministering of angels. Living the doctrine of Christ can produce the most powerful, virtuous cycle, creating spiritual momentum in our lives. I love this. Okay, let's pause here because this is some amazing stuff to unpack. This amazing cycle. It's very interesting. This is exactly what you should do if you ever find yourself in a faith crisis. And in any other time, but especially during a faith crisis. First, he says, continue to keep your covenants. And then this will allow you to receive power. Continue to repent daily, which increases your faith in Christ. And we know repenting, it's changing, right? It's changing. It's forming, conforming, not my will be done, but thine be done, right? It's it's self-checking. You know, it's it's starting your prayers with, Lord, what should I start doing? And what should I stop doing? And actually being willing to do that. By doing those things, the clouds disperse. Especially in a faith crisis is, is what I'm particularly referring to. After a long enough... After a long storm after long enough 
it will die down. The fog of uncertainty and doubt will dissipate. It will burn off. Because you're doing these things. The end result after your patience and repeating this cycle is you will receive spiritual strength, personal revelation, increasing faith, and the ministering of angels, which is what you desperately need, especially in a faith crisis. Power, strength, revelation, faith, others to help you. Ministering angels, I love this. It will be as almost the clouds will break and the mists or the dews, right? We hear about this in, in the Old Testament, the dews of Carmel. The dews settle upon you and you will be filled with what you need to continue. It is tempting in a crisis of faith to stop altogether. That's, that's our natural tendency, to not have any desire to believe. Well, first, pray for that desire first with a sincere heart, and then let that desire work in you until you can believe, until you have like an inkling of hope, until you can receive more power, more strength. But don't stop the cycle, whatever you do. Run the test, but don't stop the cycle, right? It's, it's good to have doubts. It's good to question things. In fact, Joseph Smith, if he did not question we would not have what we have today, which is the fullness of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what your faith and your searching and your seeking can do. Don't stop the flow of revelation. So that is my advice to you. He goes on. As we strive to live the higher laws of Jesus Christ, our hearts and our very natures begin to change. The Savior lifts us above the pull of this fallen world, right? We imagine him with, with wings, uh, healing in his wings and maybe giving us a pair. <laughs> but pulling us above this fallen world by blessing us with greater charity, humility, generosity, kindness, self-discipline, peace, and rest. I love how being pulled above this world is actually when Christ blesses us with outward gifts, right? Those, those gifts that will bless others, those gifts that, that we can share, right? Charity, humility, generosity, kindness. Those are all outward to others, right? The first commandment is to love God. What's the second commandment? To love thy neighbor. I love it. Now, you may be thinking this sounds more like hard spiritual work than rest, but here is the grand truth. I love this. While the world insists that power, possessions, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh bring happiness, they do not. They cannot. What they do produces nothing but a hollow substitute for the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God. A hollow substitute. Interesting, right? I was, we have this uh, thing among my family and I guess, I guess my in-laws mostly, but friends, where we just talk about buffering, 
it's this concept where if you have nothing better to do, you know, you just go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you're buffering. You, you don't want to feel a certain emotion, right? So you're going to buffer to put off feeling that emotion. It's interesting how social media and those kind of things can really desensitize us to what we are experiencing in life. Maybe an alternate reality, which is not good. It dulls our spiritual sensitivity. So we need to work on feeling, not having a hollow substitute. I have Christmas on my mind right now at the moment because I'm recording this a couple days after Christmas. But um, remember the transitional year of Christmas? You know, when your mom is like, okay, it's time to grow up now. I'm going to give you, you know, some toys. I'm not going to give you any toys anymore, but I'm going to give you socks and gloves and... <laughs> Things that you're going to need, right? Do you remember unwrapping the present and being like, on Christmas Day, and being like, oh, oh, I was, I was anticipating, you know, something more, something that I really wanted, um, but all I got were some socks. <laughs> I was expecting a fun new toy, and yeah, there it is. Okay. This is, I guess, what it is to Heavenly Father when we are seeking after things that won't provide any happiness. They are a hollow substitute of what the happiness could be. They are the pair of socks when all our Heavenly Father wanted to give us was a brand new train set or that beautiful doll. He has so much he wants to give us if we will look in the right places. Stop looking in the bathroom for Christmas presents that are under the Christmas tree, right? If you don't know where or how to look for the gifts that God wants to give you, the happiness that God wants to bless you with, look to Christ. Do some seeking and knocking on your on your end to have Christ help you because he is the only one that has the power to help you in this. Pray. He goes on. The truth is that it is much more exhausting to seek happiness where you can never find it. However, when you yoke yourself to Jesus Christ and do the spiritual work required to overcome the world, he and he alone does have the power to lift you above the pull of this world. Now, how does overcome the world bless our lives? The answer is clear. Entering into a covenant relationship with God binds us to Him in a way that makes everything about life easier. Please do not misunderstand me. I did not say that making covenants make life easy. In fact, expect opposition, because the adversary does not want you to discover the power of Jesus Christ. But yoking yourself with the Savior means you have access to His strength and redeeming power. And I love this quote he shares. I reaffirm a profound teaching of President Ezra Taft Benson. Men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that He can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out peace. Thank you, Ezra Taft Benson. I love this. But isn't it so true? I am a testament to this promise. My husband and I met while serving in the Provo City Center Temple while attending BYU. And we worked a Saturday. Can you imagine this? Oh, we were crazy. But we worked a Saturday morning shift at 5 a.m. 
I think we had to be at those meetings around 4.30 a.m. every Saturday morning. And <laughs> one Saturday, I was, I remember I was just about to go into the room where all the sisters, temple workers would meet before the beginning of the shift. And just as I was about to open the door, I spotted Jacob across the hall and our eyes locked. <laughs> Probably didn't happen quite like that, but I had actually rec I recognized him because I had served with his sister in the Adriatic North Mission about six months prior, and I recognized him from some of the pictures she would receive from, from her family, and he must have recognized me from her emails home, and, and the rest is history. But we talked briefly and had many other interactions together where we knew we were meant to be together. It was amazing and beautiful. God, God directed us. God, God is good. Jacob is probably, is one of my greatest blessings. But up until that point, I hated dating and was just disappointed in the whole process. But when I met Jacob, I knew, I knew he, he was so good. He was my person. And if I wasn't going to marry him, I, I knew I wanted to marry someone just like him. We were both in the right place at the right time. And the Lord had brought us together. He multiplied my blessings from that temple service and service as a missionary. The life that Jacob and I have created together is more wonderful to me than anything I could have created on my own. I know this to be true. I know that what President Benson said here is true. That as we turn our lives over to God, he can make a lot more out of our lives than we can on our own. We're almost done with President Nelson's talk, but he gives us some amazing, amazing promises and an invitation. So let's start with the promises. These incomparable privileges from those who seek the support of heaven to help them overcome the world, uh, overcome this world. To this end, <clears throat> I extend the members of the entire church the same charge I gave to our young adults last May. I urge them then, and I plead with you now, to take charge of your own testimony of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Work for it. Nurture it so that it will grow. Feed it truth. Don't pollute it with false philosophies of unbelieving men and women. As you make the continual strength of your testimony of Jesus Christ your highest priority, watch for miracles to happen in your life. I want to pause here just really quickly. That invitation is so profound. When he says to make the continual strengthening of our testimony of Jesus Christ our highest priority, it can be, it can take a lot of courage to do this. You know, we have so many other things on our plate. We have work, we have children, we have grandchildren, perhaps. There are so many things going on in our life. Life gets so busy. But when he says to make Jesus Christ our testimonies, our highest priority, it makes me step back and wonder, gosh, what should I be doing in my life? Where, where are my priorities? 
I love this invitation. He, he goes on with the invitation. My plea to you this morning is to find rest from the intensity, uncertainty, and anguish of this world by overcoming the world through your covenant covenants with God. Let him know through your prayers and your actions that you are serious about overcoming the world. Ask him to enlighten your mind and send the help you need. And I love this. Each day, record the thoughts that come to you as you pray. Then follow through diligently. Spend more time in the temple and seek to understand how the temple teaches you to rise above this fallen world. Keep a prayer journal, right? This is what he's telling us. Write in it after you pray and whatever comes to your mind to do, do it. Have the courage to do that. Spend more time in the temple. Oh, I wish we could spend every week in the temple. I grew up attending the temple every week, um, like I mentioned before. And now that we live in Montana, it's I think the closest temple is in Canada, Cardston. Cardston, Alberta. And uh, I love the temple. I so miss it. It's one of my happy places. <laughs> but we, we do what we can. And we, we make an effort. And it is a sacrificial effort, let me tell you. Especially with, with young children. Uh, we've got two young ones right now. And, and boy, oh boy, those trying to time out those feedings and naps, it can be kind of tricky. But this is how we rise above the fallen world. This is how we set an example for our children, right? Making the temple a priority in our life. And praying, praying diligently and teaching our children to pray. I love this. I love this invitation. It's so good. Ugh. But I invite you to ponder more about these things. He goes on. As I've stated before, the gathering of Israel is the most important work taking place on earth today. One crucial element of this gathering is preparing a people who are able, ready, and worthy to receive the Lord when he comes again. A people who have already chosen Jesus Christ over this fallen world. A people who rejoice in their agency to live the higher, holier laws of Jesus Christ. Ooh, this is so good. I love this so much. This reminds me of what we learned in Haggai in the Old Testament with Come Follow Me a few weeks ago. We learned about this one very crucial element, right? Preparing the people to be ready, to be ready to see Christ when he comes again, right? Haggai teaches us to reorder our priorities, and I think President Nelson is doing the same. In some ways, I think President Nelson and Haggai are very similar in their, in their teachings. The people had been, during that time in Haggai, the people had been so focused on building their homes instead of focusing on building the temple of God. Haggai 1.5, the Lord said, Consider your ways. Haggai 1.6-7, Is it time for you to dwell on your paneled houses and this house lie waste? Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Right? We're doing all these things, but it's amounting to nothing. It's putting it in a bag with holes. It's just going to fall out. And then thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is some great advice for us today. Consider our ways. 
When was the last time you attended the temple? Are we having the house of the Lord lie waste like they did in Haggai's time? I told you the book of Haggai is about self-reflection, a reordering of our priorities. What do you spend most of your time doing? Better yet, what do you think about most of the time? Are you thinking about the Lord as you go throughout your day? Or do you just think of him when Sunday morning rolls around and you're getting ready for church? When you sow and you work, do you sow unto the Lord? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you thinking about your neighbors, those with whom you come in contact with? I can be so much better at that. When you eat, are you feasting on the word of Christ? Do you actually study the scriptures with the intent to come unto Christ? When you drink, are you thinking about Christ, who is the source of living water? When you clothe yourself, do you remember the Savior and his atoning sacrifice, which covers you, as we learn in the Old Testament? And those who have been through the temple in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints know the importance of the atonement when they clothe themselves each day. It's a constant reminder every single day. I think we all need to take the divine guidance spoken from Haggai and consider our ways. Do you think God wants us to try a little harder? Live a little holier? Think of his son a little more? Seek the Lord. Seek his guidance. Seek the spirit as you ponder what you can prioritize in your life in order to come unto him and hear him. He will help you know what you should start doing and what you should stop doing. President Nelson goes on, and these are some of his final words to us. For the next six months, this is what he leaves with us. I call upon you, my dear brothers and sisters, to become this righteous people. Cherish and honor your covenants above all other commitments. As you let God prevail in your life, I promise you greater peace, confidence, joy, and rest. And yes, rest. I will end with President Nelson's sweet blessing. He gave us a beautiful blessing and, and a closing testimony that I think would wrap this up very well. It is powerful. And I love I love the Lord's prophet. With the power of the holy apostleship vested in me, I bless you in your quest to overcome this world. I bless you to increase your faith in Jesus Christ and learn better how to draw upon his power. I bless you to be able to discern truth from error. Isn't this the goal? That we may pass through sorrow, that we may know the good from the evil, right? As, as Eve mentioned, that we may know truth from error. He blesses us to discern truth from error. I bless you to care more about the things of God than the things of this world. I bless you to see the needs of those around you and strengthen those you love. Because Jesus Christ overcame this world, you can too. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.